Some of you know that in the ministry, we get out sometimes on the streets of cities and we share the gospel. And I had a friend, his name is Brian, many years ago, and he was a great uh, street, what we call street evangelist, not the bullhorn guy that you see down at Mariner Stadium. He was very relational. And he would just have this ability to go out on the streets of the city and just walk up to random strangers, strike up conversation, talk to them about God, and even introduce them to Jesus. And I remember one time we were at a bus stop and he was talking to a young man there at the bus stop, and he just started sharing his faith, and then he ended up praying with this young man, and the, the young man accepted Christ into his life because of Brian's witness to him, just a total random happening and total random stranger. And Brian uh, invited me often to go out with him on the streets of the city and to share the faith of people, and sometimes it was share the faith. Sometimes it was give people a blanket. Sometimes it was invite people to a meal uh, that the ministry center was serving uh, down the street. And so there was always something happening depending on what the needs uh, Brian would encounter. And Brian had this gift of being an evangelist and uh, something that I don't have a gift like that. He was definitely gifted in that area. Now when Brian would invite me to go out, there would be other, other people at the ministry center that would stay at the ministry center and they would pray. They would pray for us as we were out on the streets. And uh, there was this kind of ministry of prayer behind the scenes that was going on as we were out uh, sharing our faith with other people. And I always, if I look back on it, and I'm honest with you this morning, I often looked at the prayer people a little judgmentally. Uh, I was a little judgmental of them, like they were less uh, of gifted because they were just basically, they, weren't, they were afraid to take risks. And what they were doing was because they just didn't feel comfortable sharing their faith, and so there was maybe uh, something, you know, they just didn't have as much faith as, as the bold ones do going on the streets, and, you know, and there's these judgmental spirits that we can have and thoughts that we can have, and really thinking that their gift of prayer was somehow less important than the gift of evangelism, so to speak. What do you think about the work of prayer? Do you believe in the work and power of prayer? Do you believe that there is power in prayer and not just in action? And so that's an important question for us because I know that today my sense and I think our senses is that we underestimate the power of prayer and we overestimate our human abilities and efforts in the world. And we see that all around us today. We tend to minimize the work of prayer. And prayer really is work. It is a labor. People who pray and intercede for others and intercede for what's going on in the world are at work. Uh, we often think it's not, but it is a labor. It is a burden for them. And I had to learn over the years that they're, they're, they were just as valuable to the ministry as the evangelist. And really, isn't that the way that God put the church, the community together? It says that Paul writes about the body of Christ, and when one part can't say the other part, we don't need you, or look down on another part of the body. All these gifts are brought together in the body of Christ, and God is working through all of them, and prayer is just as important as action and, and, and service and evangelism. It's just as important, and it's possible, not just possible, but certainly true, that worship and prayer lead us to action, right? That action devoid of worship and prayer, devoid of the Spirit's work, is actually not good. 
Paul also talked about that to have have uh, to be able to do all these great things but have not love we are nothing and prayer is tuning us to the heart of God to the love of God to the compassion of God worship puts us in touch with God that flows out into the streets of our cities and so these two gifts actually go together in partnership and that's important for us to understand because as we look at Anna and Simeon today we heard Brian read uh, the scripture this morning uh, one of the commentators named William Barclay called Anna and Simeon the quiet ones in the land, that they, that they were the quiet ones in the land. They were the ones that were not like the zealots of that day. There was another group of people at the same time of Anna and Simeon called the zealots, and they wanted to raise up an army, cause an uprising, create riots in the streets of Jerusalem, and take back Jerusalem from the Roman government. And so they were very passionate about this, and they wanted to act, and they wanted to, they would use, even go to the extent of using violence. And they would go these lengths because they were so zealous to bring about change, right? And so oftentimes, we miss over the quiet ones, the ones who are in the temple praying to God for that change, hoping for that change, and worshiping God in the temple. And that's where we find Anna and Simeon, and they actually are the witnesses of the change. We're actually in the story today, we jumped past the birth of Jesus, if you were a little confused. We're actually later on, when Jesus's parents, Mary and Joseph, he's Jesus is born, and they take him to the temple to dedicate him, and then also go through a ritual of purification after childbirth. And that's where we encounter Anna and Simeon today in the passage. And they're the quiet ones. They're the ones that have been worshiping quietly and waiting for God to act, and looking for God to act, and expecting God to act, and trusting God to act, right? And it's interesting that they are the ones that are described in Psalm 27, 4, This is written by King David, the warrior king. David was a man of action, and he was a king, a warrior. And here's what he wrote. He said, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. That where David's heart was, where David wanted to be, was not on the battlefield. David wanted to be in worship with God. David wanted to be with God like Anna and Simeon in the temple. And that's exactly where we find Anna. Anna is in there. Anna's in the temple, right? How, how often is she there? Day and night, it says, 24-7. She's always there. She's always worshiping God. She's always in prayer. She's doing this as it's a way of life for her, right? And she is 84 years old, and she's been doing this for her whole life. That's amazing, right? To spend her whole life given to worship and prayer. I also don't imagine that Anna was like this kind of person who was kind of closed off to other people. Sometimes the people uh, we associate uh, people can kind of be overly pious and, and kind of shun people who aren't prayer people or aren't as holy as they seem. But I don't see Anna that way. We don't see Anna not being humble. We actually see Anna too, that when other people are around, she's pointing them to Jesus. She's pointing them to God. She's actually sharing her faith in the temple. And as people are coming, she's like, hey, look what God is doing. Look what's happening. And she's excited and she's grateful about what God is doing. So she's not just keeping this to herself or closing herself or quarantining her herself off from other people. She's actually connecting and reaching out to people as well in this passage. And so, you know, that's the kind of person that she is. But to think about her whole life being spent this way, some people would say, maybe even consider her life a waste, right? 
And again, when we don't believe in the power of prayer, we're actually under mis- underestimating the power of God. That's what's really going on. Our assumption is that God can't act or God won't act, so I got to go do it myself, rather than expecting God to act like Anna and Simeon. And so that's what's happening. She's one of the quiet ones in the land. I know that in my own life, one of the quiet ones in the land in my own life is my wife, Heather. Uh, she, is, she doesn't like to be up front. She doesn't like to be in the spotlight, so to speak, as we have them around us here in this, this uh, production here. But she doesn't want to be in the light. She wants to be a support. She wants to be behind the scenes. And she will pray. She will intercede. Uh, for others. And she has empathy and compassion for others that I don't have as a pastor, surprisingly enough. People expect that from pastors. But if you had a choice between Heather praying for you and me praying for you, I'd suggest you go talk to Heather because she is more effective and better intercessor than I am. I'm the guy who wants to go out and get things done, but she will pray. She will worship. She will pray for you. And you know, the prayers of, an, of a righteous woman are effective. And so that's so important that it's a partnership. And two, in our marriage, we are in partnership together. She prays, I preach. And that goes together. God put us together that way. And that's the way God knits the body of Christ together as well. And so there, her role, Anna's role, Simeon's role is vitally important in what's going on in the world today. And they get to see what God is doing. They have been waiting. They have been expecting and God is showing up in Jesus, in this child being brought to the temple. They get to see God's answer to prayer, which is Jesus here. And they're grateful. Their response is gratitude for getting to be a part of what God was doing. And Simeon, too, is grateful here. Uh, Simeon's grateful to be able to witness. And notice that he heard a message from the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Messiah, which is interesting because how long ago did he receive that message? We don't know. But because he was a man of prayer and a man of worship, he was hearing from God. He was in tune with what God was doing and expecting God to act in the world, right? He was looking and expecting for the Messiah Messiah to come. And so he is just as, uh, as thrilled about this of waiting, right? You know, it's hard this week. We're all waiting for Christmas to come, right? It's hard to wait. Notice, though, that what he says is kind of ominous as well. He says this in Luke chapter 2, 34 and 35. He said, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Ominous words from Simeon. Mary, probably an allusion, that last line, an allusion to Mary at the foot of the cross when Jesus is being crucified, that her heart was being pierced too as she watched her son die on a cross. And so, but notice that he also, he says this rising and falling, right? That the presence of Jesus will cause some to rise and some to fall. That this is a, also a two-edged sword, right? And so the presence of cre- Jesus will either create acceptance and gratitude in us, or it will create rejection in us. And that rejection brings judgment. Nobody else really is judging us here. It's our rejection of Jesus that actually brings about the judgment, our, our response to the presence of Jesus, right? So that's what's going on here. Take, for example, gift giving. We're getting ready to give gifts this week. Maybe you've already done some uh, gift exchanges with families remotely. And, you know, you're, when you're the giver of the gift, you're 
always thinking, you know, are they going to like it? Are they going to want to take it back? Is it the right size, the right color? And is it meaningful? Do they, you know, like it? And so you kind of wait and you're watching their reaction, right? You watch them open the gift and then you look for their reaction and they're reacting to the gift, right? And they're reacting and you're hoping it's a positive, it's a grateful reaction. Or is it, you know, just, oh, well, that's nice. Thanks so much. You know, and then you're like, oh, well, just take it back. And so you're trying to read their reaction and they're either accepting the gift, right? Or rejecting the gift. And their response to the gift says a lot about what they're thinking, right? On the inside, what's going on? That's what Simeon's saying, is that when we receive Jesus, when we are confronted and encounter Jesus, that it will reveal our hearts. It will reveal the response of our hearts, rejection or acceptance, gratitude and joy, or just no. And, and then that brings about judgment as well. So now when you're the gift giver, right? The other thing is, or the gift receiver you know that, right? That's something that's going on inside of us as we receive the gift, right? So when you were on the end of the receiver, like think about if you get a gift like a Christmas sweater, like, you know, and your reaction, and then you try and like, you know, try and give that like, oh, that's so wonderful, but you're not really sincere about it, right? Or you get exercise equipment, right? Oh, do I need to work out? Or even worse, you get a self-help book from somebody which suggests that you've got some work to do. And so your reaction is probably, your inner thought is, oh, wow, this is, you're actually saying something to me, right? And so your response is uh, of like, oh, well, I guess I got to work on it. So anyway, if you've bought any of these gifts for anybody, maybe you want to take them back right now and just go ahead and get something else. Just a little warning uh, to you if you've taken one of those steps. Or that, that candle, you know, that candle that you just keep giving around every Christmas. So Think about those things. But notice that when you receive the gift, what's your response, right? It reveals what's going on inside of you. It reveals your thoughts and your heart about the reception of the gift. I would tell you that Jesus is no self-help book. Jesus isn't here to be a self-help book. I mean, there's a lot of great things about Jesus, but that's not the point. It's not that, that uh, you know, Jesus is this self-help guru. That's not what Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is our Savior for our souls. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. The gift of Jesus is that God is with us, is present with us, is in our lives. And our relationship with God, the distance between us and God has been erased because of Jesus. And you and I can have a relationship with God like we've never had before because of this gift. So what's your attitude towards the gift of Jesus today? What, what, what's going on inside of your heart and your thoughts as you are thinking about Jesus, as you're thinking about Jesus as a gift that God has given you and me, what's your response? Gratitude? Joy? Thankful? Or is it, I'm not sure I want Jesus in my life. Maybe because we are looking at Jesus as a self-help book, and so maybe we reject Jesus not because of anything that Jesus has done, but because of our view and our perspective on who Jesus is, rather than seeing that God has come near, that God has come to be with us, that God loves us and values us and wants to be in our lives and walk alongside of us. That's tremendous. That's awesome to have God with us, right? So what Simeon is saying is our response to Jesus will either rise with hope and expectation and gratitude or will fall into despair, and possibly destruction. So think about that. What's your response to Jesus today? 
And you know, if we think about God as not being with us, we tend to despair more. We tend to think despairingly more because we feel all alone without God, without Jesus. The other thing is, though, if we're intimately connected with God, and that's what Jesus' presence brings, is this intimate connection, this relationship with God. When we accept Jesus, we're brought into this relationship with God. There's hope, there's expectation, there's gratitude, there's joy for life and everything else. And so we're either rising or falling with this gift. I thought, it, thought we could hear this story. I'm actually going to read this story today. Uh, it's, a, it's kind of a parable. It's a story of a monk and a seeker. And it comes out of the monastic life. And I'm just going to read the story because it's written better than I could probably tell it to you. And it's a short, very short story. But I just want you to listen to the words and let some of the points of this parable sink in on you and this word of wisdom sink in on you about God's presence today. It says, once upon a time, the story begins, some seekers from the city asked the monastic the question, how does one seek union with God? And the wise one said, the harder you seek, the more distance you create between God and you. So what does one do about the distance, the seekers asked. And the elder replied, just understand that it isn't there. Just understand that it isn't there. Does that mean that God and I are one, the disciples said? And monastic answered, not one, not two. But how is this possible, the seekers insisted. And the monastic answered, just like the sun and its light, the ocean and the wave, the singer and the song, not one, but not two. You see, when we worship God in song, not one, not two. We are with God. God is present with us. When we pray with our words, no matter what our prayers are, whether they're frustrations or anger or gratitude, whatever our prayers are, God is present with us in those prayers, right with us. There's no distance. When we serve others and practice loving kindness to other people in the world, and we are in the mode of acting in loving ways towards other people, God is with us in those acts. And when we go out to share our faith in the streets of our city, not only is God with us, but it says in the Bible that God will even give us the words to say. That's how much God is with us when we do these things, when we pray and we worship, when we flow out into the streets of our city in action and sharing of the good news, God is with us. Emmanuel, Christ is with us, born in our lives today. And that's really what Christmas is about. Christmas isn't about every the decorations and the preparations. and Christmas is about Jesus being born anew in us, present to us, revealed in us that we become not one, not two, with God. Let's pray together.